So have you ever been thirsty? I mean like so thirsty you would have taken a swig of a tab cola just to satisfy your thirst. Yeah. Mm -hmm. There's a story told of a young salesman who had a big sale right there on the edge. Man, it was just about to happen. And then it all fell apart and he was so bummed. He said to his manager, he goes, well, I guess that just goes to show you can lead a horse to water, but you can't make him drink. And his manager said back to him, your job is not to make him drink. Your job is to make him thirsty. That's what sales is. So are you thirsty this morning? Are you, are you thirsty? Well, it's kind of my job to, to make you thirsty this morning. Not thirsty like this sermon's going to be so long you'll be starving for a tab cola. But, but thirsty in the sense that is there something happening in your life right now where you feel a bit desperate, where you feel a bit, a bit needy, a bit overwhelmed? See, my job and the job of, of this church and, and any church that lives and supports and proclaims the gospel is to make sure that we do all that we can to help you see and enjoy the good news of great joy that is for all people. And that good news of great joy is what Christmas is all about. It's, it's why we gather. And that good news of great joy is an invitation. It's not an invitation that started today. It's not even an invitation that started in Bethlehem. It's an invitation that started before the foundations of the world. And very specifically, it was an invitation that was given at a very unique time about 700 years before Jesus was born. Just, just catch that for a second. God gave you a Christmas invitation 700 years before the first Christmas. That is a pursuing God. God is pursuing you. We continue our holiday series today. We're calling You Are Invited. And we're looking at this Christmas invitation from God. Last week we looked at the first part of the invitation in verses 1 through 3. And, and, and really this is where my job gets a little easy today because now we continue with the invitation. And all I'm supposed to do is to, is to kind of make you thirsty but all I have to do in order for that to happen is just give you the authenticated words of God because they are still full of power and majesty. They are still full of good news, of great joy. The invitation is for people who are thirsty, people who are frustrated, people who are angry, people who are sad, people who are discouraged. In any of that in your heart and mind today, any of those things fit then the invitation is, is for you. It's for you. So are you thirsty today? Then come to the waters. God's inviting you right now. Our sermon today is come be saved. Come be saved. And we're going to be looking in Isaiah 55 beginning with verse 4. The invitation continues. God gives this part of his invitation to Isaiah in verse 4. Behold, I have made him a witness to the peoples. Who, who is this witness? Well, the language here is showing that the witness is someone who has not arrived yet. 
It's someone who's, who's not there yet. The witness ultimately is the Messiah. Now, that's, that's a word we hear at Christmas sometimes, right? Handel's Messiah. We, we hear Messiah in some of the Christmas songs. Well, what is Messiah? Well, Messiah is anointed one. The, the full and, and final and ultimate witness of God's glory and majesty, all found in the Messiah. And the people, they loved the idea of a Messiah. Oh, they, they loved this idea that, that this future king was coming. That this future ruler was coming. That the Messiah was going to come and the Messiah was going to make everything right. They were going to set everything right. We like that idea too, right? I mean, we do. We, we are always longing for leaders that will come and set things right. Leaders that will help us to come and win. And we see that in our culture, right? This longing for those types of leaders. It's why uh, CEOs and, and college football coaches and, and even pastors, there's a lot of turnover. It's because we're, we're looking for that person who can come in and, and set everything right and, and help us to win. We see it with political candidates and, and people getting so jacked up behind certain candidates at, at certain times because there is this feeling, this longing, well, this person, they can help us win. When this invitation was announced, the people in Isaiah's community, the people in Isaiah's church, the, the people in Isaiah's country, boy, they loved it. Whew, give, give us more of that invitation. We like that. We, we like this notion that, that someone's going to come and, and set things right. Someone's going to come and, and help us win. Don Carson said it's, it's like the people were looking for someone to show up and stand up and say something like this. I am the Messiah. I'm here to establish a political kingdom and take out the Romans and set up the throne exactly as it was in the days of David 1,000 years earlier. And this time, people, we're going to win. Gosh, they, they loved that. They, they wanted to hear that. They, they liked this. We, we want to hear about winning. They did, and we do. We, we like it. We want to hear about winning. However, we, we might be missing, missing the, the definition, definition of winning here. What kind of winning is this witness bringing from God? What is this winning all about? Well, we get a little bit of a glimpse earlier in Isaiah. Isaiah chapter 19, verse 20 says this, And it will become a sign and a witness to the Lord of armies in the land of Egypt. For they will cry out to the Lord because of oppressors, oppressed, frustrated, overwhelmed. And he will send them a savior and a champion, and he will save them. A savior, a champion, the, the Messiah was going to be a savior, a champion, a deliverer, not just for a political office, not just for a, a college playoff football game, not just for a, a record Easter Sunday service, but, but this witness of God was going to save and redeem and rescue once and for all. 
In fact, when, when God gave the promise of this witness to David, this is how he described it. 2 Samuel seven thirteen. God said to David, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. This witness is going to have victory forever. Not just delivery for one Christmas, not just delivery for, for one football game, not just delivery for one life, but delivery forever. The witness, the anointed one, the Messiah, his reign, his rule, his victory would never end. So, who's this witness? Who's this anointed one? Who's this Messiah? Who's the savior and champion? Well, the story of the first Christmas tells us exactly who it is. Luke chapter 2, verse 11, the message from the skies that night said this, For today, in the city of David, there is born for you a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. Jesus Christ is the Savior. He is the champion. He is the deliverer. See, we can't look at this passage from Isaiah and say, oh, Savior champion. Well, that has to be this coach. That has to be this quarterback. That has to be this president. That has to be this pastor. That has to be this husband, this wife, this child, this grandchild. No, the Savior and the deliverer is the one and only Jesus. Jesus Christ is the Savior. He is the champion. He is the deliverer. There is no other. Don Carson says this, when we say Jesus Christ, we should be thinking in our mind Jesus the Messiah, Jesus the promised priest, Jesus the king, the prophet, Jesus the one who is anointed by God to bring about our redemption. He is Jesus who has been set aside by God, anointed by God, the ultimate redeemer, the ultimate anointed one, the ultimate Christ. There is no one like Jesus. None. So when we gather and we sing these songs, we are not being religious. We are not being Baptist. We are not being ceremonial. We are being people who believe in the name that is above every other name and always will be the name of Jesus. He's the Savior. He's the champion. He's the deliverer. Now look, cheer for your team. You know, cheer for your coach. Support and follow your pastor. Vote for your candidate. Those are all great things, but none of those people are ultimate. And they never will be. The ultimate champion, the ultimate victory can only be found in Jesus. Why? Because of Easter. <laughs> Poor Dow, he bumped his head on the mistletoe. He, he forgot what holiday it is. It's not Easter, it's Christmas time. The choir just sang about it. Come on. No, no, I'm, I'm, I'm not off here. You see, it's, it's Easter that brings us the truth of the crucifixion and the resurrection. It's, it's Easter that brings us into the truth about the cross and the risen Jesus. And it is in the cross and the risen Jesus that the greatest victory exists. The greatest, greatest victory is found in the person of Jesus. If your team wins or loses, if your candidate wins or loses, 
The greatest victory is found in Jesus. Win or lose, if you are in Christ, you have victory because he's the savior, he's the champion. And dying on the cross, what Jesus did was satisfy the penalty of sin, the the sin of the whole world, which includes my sin and your sin. And in satisfying that penalty, in rising from the dead, his resurrection from the grave is a guarantee that if you're believing in and trusting in and relying on and clinging to Jesus, you have already won and you will win. And no one can take that victory away from you. The Apostle Paul was writing to the church at Corinth and he said this about winning. 1 Corinthians 15, 55. Where, O death, is your victory? Where, O death, is your sting? Where is it? I can just see Paul just stopping to go, wait a minute, where is the victory of death? And how could he ask that question? Verse 57. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus is the Savior. He's the champion. He's the deliverer. He's the victor. Victory comes through Jesus. This is not a Christmas religious fairy tale. We're we're not just following after a legend. The hope of life and the hope of life after death, all of it is found in following Jesus. He is the only ultimate win. We may win in things in this life, but we cannot ultimately win without Jesus. So this invitation from 700 years before Jesus was born is not just an invitation to come buy wine and, and milk and, and bread and water and, and just, hey, have, let's have a nice feast. That's not the invitation. The ultimate invitation is to come to the Messiah, to come to Jesus. So have you ever come to Jesus? Have you come to the Messiah? And why should you do that? I mean, why should you turn to Jesus? Because Jesus is God's promise. God, by his design, made the promise of the gospel, the good news of great joy. All of it is wrapped up and found in Jesus. David Lee said this, when you grow tired from all your work, work for your family, Work for your job, work for your church, work for your community, work for your friends, work for your enemies. Anybody had to work for your enemy this week? Anybody tired from work this week? Even if you're retired, you might be tired from work. Just just the work of being retired. It's exhausting sometimes, right? This is what he says. When you grow tired from all your work, Look to Jesus. The guarantee that God will nourish you with true drink and true food that satisfies your soul. When you have nothing left to give, nothing left to spend, when you're thirsty, hungry, and broke, look to Jesus. Look to Jesus. He's the witness. He's the savior, he's the champion, he's the deliverer, he's the victor. The invitation is to look at Jesus, to look to 
Jesus, but many won't. Many people just will not look at Jesus. Really, really nice, sweet, kind people will not look at Jesus. They'll reject him. They'll, they'll just look to themselves. And that's not new, okay? There were many people back in the day that did the same thing. There were many people that did not listen to the shepherds and the wise men. There were many people that when that baby grew up and began to teach and preach and, and heal and perform miracles and, and do amazing things, there were many people, let's just be fair, most people that did not reject the power, the love, that, that rejected rather the power and the love and the grace and the mercy of Jesus. Many. But then many people saw the cross. And many people saw the empty tomb. And many people saw the risen Jesus. And this man who was worthless to them, just, just some freak, some, some guy who was just parading around trying to get attention, this person who was worthless to them when they saw the cross, when they saw the empty tomb, when they saw the risen Jesus, that worthless person became their greatest treasure. They began to treasure Jesus more than anything else. Why? Because the Holy Spirit of God explained the story to them. What story is that? Well, we find it in Isaiah too. Isaiah chapter 53. But he was pierced for our offenses. He was crushed for our wrongdoing. And the punishment for our well-being was laid upon Him and by His wounds we are healed. Have you ever been accused of something that you didn't do? Have you ever had to absorb the punishment or the consequences of someone else's sin? Jesus absorbed the punishment and the consequences of the sin of the world. And it really wasn't his fault. It was my fault and it was your fault. He absorbed the sin of the world. Jesus was not just born in a Bethlehem in manger. Jesus was crushed on a cross outside of Jerusalem. And his chastening brought peace. His afflictions brought forgiveness. His beatings, his torture, his execution brought hope. Hope to people who are thirsty and needy and frustrated and overwhelmed and discovered, discouraged and angry and just about everything else you could imagine. Jesus brought hope. Because he is the promise of God. He's the savior. He's the champion. He's the deliverer. He's the victor. This is who Jesus is. He is the witness to the power and majesty and glory of God. And he has made himself known. But he's not only a witness. Look at the next part of verse 4. Behold, I have made him a leader and commander for the peoples. 
So have you truly heard of the witness of Jesus Christ? Have you heard this good news of great joy? Have you embraced the gospel? Have you received Christ, the very promise of God? If so, then that means things would be right between you and God. So how can you know if things are right between you and God? I mean, you know, beyond just shaking the preacher's hand or getting baptized or, or praying a prayer at a camp or something, how can you truly know that things are right between you and God? Well, consider these questions. Is Jesus Christ your commander? Is, is he your commanding officer? Is he your, your leader? Is he your king? Do you yield to Jesus? Like the, the truth about Jesus, do you yield to that? Do you obey and cooperate with the teachings of Jesus, the, the things that he taught and left for us? And do you look to Jesus? I mean, in your, in your moment of need, in your moment of fear and frustration and anger and, and worry and, and all the other, do you actually look to Jesus or do you look to yourself? Do you usually look to yourself? Hey, I, I got this. I can, I can take care of this by myself. Or do you look to what you do for God more than what God has done for you? Do you look to Jesus? Where the rubber meets the road, you have to look to Jesus. If, if Jesus is not king, then the penalty of sin is still out there. There's no hope, there's no peace, there's no joy, there's no love if Jesus is not king. If Jesus is not the leader and commander, then we die. Like, we should fear the grave, right? I mean, we, we sang the song earlier, now ye need not fear the grave. If Jesus is not king and leader and commander, be afraid. Be very, very afraid. But if he's your king, if he's your leader, if he's your commander, if you've yielded to Jesus, then that means that you realize that, that we're not making up the rules as we go along. We have a king. We're following a king. We aren't just doing what we want whenever we want. We aren't just going along with our personal preferences. Yesterday, I was out of town at our extended family gathering. Uh, this is... Uh, uh, my my dad's family and, and everybody that's connected to that side of the family and and I was standing out in the front yard at at uh, what was my grandmother's house talking to my cousin and she said uh, my dad um, he had two brothers and a sister and she said you know mama told me before not long before she died she goes you know there was never a disagreement among us as, as kids and she goes and she said you know and then I had three sister-in-laws that came into the mix too <laughs> And she said, there was, there was never a disagreement among us. And my cousin said, she goes, that's pretty amazing. You know, for four grown children to, to head past the age of 70, way past the age of 70, and, and say that, hey, we, we never had a disagreement. And I told her, I said, you know what? I said, they disagreed. <laughs> I mean, we know they disagreed. I said, but they didn't have a disagreement. In other words, what they did was they said, you know what? I'm, I'm just going to defer if we can't learn to defer as Christians, then Jesus may not be our king and leader and commander. If we're obsessed with getting our way and our personal preferences met, then Jesus may not be our king and leader and commander. But he must be. 
You see, we, we would as Christians, most of us are, yeah, people need Jesus. Lost people need Jesus. You know what? Saved people need Jesus. I desperately need Jesus. As a pastor and a husband and a, a father and a brother and a, and a son and, and a friend and all the other roles and titles that I have in life, I desperately need Jesus. Jesus is not just for lost people. The gospel is not just for lost people. We need a king. We need a leader. We need a commander. Salvation is not just punching your ticket to heaven and hanging it out at the beach until Jesus comes back. No, we keep preaching the gospel to ourselves. We keep telling ourselves how much this good news of great joy matters because we need a king. We need a leader. We need a commander. God has appointed Jesus and only Jesus as savior, champion, deliverer, witness, leader, and commander. That's what God has done. And for what reason has he done this? Listen to verse five. The invitation continues. Behold, you will call a nation you do not know. Listen, if you're a Christian, please remember and understand, there was a time that you were without hope and without God in this world. Even if you grew up in church, that's my story. I was a pretty good kid. I grew up in church. But 11 years old, I was heading to hell. Because I was separated from the hope. I was, I was without God and without hope in this world, meaning I was going to be without hope in the world to come. I was outside of the nation, the kingdom, and the family of God. Jesus did not know me as part of his family. But what happened? How did, how did my story get changed? How does, how does someone's story get changed? Apostle Paul put it this way in Ephesians 2.13, but now in Christ Jesus, you who previously were far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. You see, the manger in Bethlehem was the path to the cross. And the cross is the only way that a person can be brought near to God. What Jesus has done on the cross, through the tomb, in his resurrection, is the only way a person can be brought near to God. And listen to me, the greatest thing in the universe is being brought near to God. I promise it's better than winning the game. I promise that it's better than getting whatever it is that you want for Christmas this year. I promise it is so much better than your candidate winning. To be brought near to God is the greatest thing in the universe. To be saved, to be made right with God is the greatest thing in the universe. There's nothing greater than knowing that you are truly, deeply, eternally in the nation and kingdom and family of God. There's, there's nothing greater. And that may not be true for you. Your heart, very honestly, may be telling you, hey, you know what, I'm, I'm still without hope. I'm still without God in this world, and I'll be without God in the world to come. And so we would say graciously and plead with you, come to Jesus. Turn to Jesus, repent, and be saved. 
the good news of great joy of Christmas, the good news of, of great joy from Bethlehem in the manger is that Jesus did come. It's that Jesus is the witness. It's that Jesus is the champion. It's that Jesus is the Savior so that you can know the love and grace and mercy and power of God. And the invitation continues, verse 5. And a nation which does not know you will run to you. I don't know if you know this, but you can run to God right now. That, that's the invitation. The invitation from the witness, from the Messiah, from Christ is you can run to God. If you're far off from God, you can run to God right now. There's never a time that you can't run to God. And if you are far off, meaning you've never been made right with God through Jesus Christ, you can run to God right now. And it means that if you're a believer and you feel far off from God, you can run to God right now. What does that feel like? What does that look like? What does it feel like to run to God for salvation? I've always loved the, the old hymn by Charles Wesley. Amazing love, how can it be? And, and there's one part of the song that the words go like this. Long my imprisoned spirit lay. Do any of you feel like you're in a prison today? Work's not working out. Marriage isn't working out. Kids aren't working out. Family's not working out. You're, you're stressed beyond compare. You're, you're angry. You're frustrated. You're confused. You're overwhelmed. Do you feel like you're in a prison in some way? Wesley said, Long my imprisoned spirit lay, fast bound and sin, and nature's night. Thine eye diffused a quickening ray. It's like, ooh, at the corner of my eye, this ray of light shot into my dungeon. And he said, I woke, and the dungeon flamed with light. And the song goes, my chains fell off. My heart was free I rose went forth and followed thee and then the song says amazing love how can it be that my God would die for me has your heart risen and gone forth and followed Jesus have you run to the Messiah, run to the witness, run to the Savior and the champion of your soul. If not, run today. Look to Jesus today. Turn to him today. The invitation continues in verse 5. Because of the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, for he has glorified you. I, I, I like how this kind of comes in. It's like, well, how did all this happen? Because of God. <laughs> the quickening ray, the, the light in the dungeon, being able to, to be set free, all of it is by the decree and the delight and the desire and the hand of God. All of this happened because the Holy One of Israel said it was going to happen. 
See, the story of salvation doesn't begin with me and it doesn't begin with you. It doesn't even begin in, in, in Bethlehem, right? The story of salvation began before the foundations of the world. The story of salvation was created and instigated and accomplished by God and God alone. Through Christ, we are simply the benefactors of his grace and his love and his mercy. All that he's done through Jesus is for us, which makes Jesus the ultimate witness. The glory of God in Jesus Christ is the full attraction of the gospel. And no matter how much we may be distracted this December, the full attraction of Christmas is Jesus. He's the full attraction. David Linden says this, the Jesus who died with his blood dried and caked on his naked body, died in humiliation. That's that's truth, that's fact. But then he says this, all that is over. He now lives by God's power. The full attraction of Christmas is not actually the manger. The full attraction of Christmas is that the manger went to the cross and all that happened on the cross is over. It's over. Because Jesus is risen. Our hope is in the Savior and the champion. So we look to Him over and over and over again. We were far off. But all that is over when we come to Christ and we've been brought near so we can run to Jesus we can run to the family what does that mean I shared a moment ago that yesterday we were out of town at my, my family gathering it was it was a unique one um, my family has has celebrated Mother's Day and and Thanksgiving and Christmas and so many things that this this one house uh, here out in the country in South Carolina for uh, at least ninety years, but probably more than a hundred years, and and this may be the the last year that that house is is a part of someone in our family. So in a sense, it was it was almost kind of like a last Christmas, you know, as we gathered. And, and growing up, going to this, my, my grandmother's house, there's a, a huge long lane. And I remember as a kid just feeling like that lane was the longest thing on the planet. And I mean, I, I, I felt like if I walked to the end of the road, it would take me an hour, you know. But yesterday, I, I walked to the end of the road and I got to the other side and I, I just took a picture back down that lane, you know, back to, to the trees where the house sits. And it was interesting because yesterday, um, my... I, know how to, I never had to do this. My, my niece's son, that great nephew, I don't know. Anyway, my niece's son, um, he's three, uh, right? All right, three, three, he's three. Uh, I'm not good with names or ages anymore. I forgot everything. Uh, and birthdays and anniversaries, no, I got nothing. Um, but Wells, he, he went to the end of the road, and, and my sister took a picture of him running back down the lane. And I, I watched him going, God, how many times did I just run? It's wide open, just run. Here's somewhere to run. And I went, and, and I remembered as I walked across the lane and took that picture, I remember watching Wells running. And, and then I could see as I walked back down my mom sitting on the front porch. 
my mom can't run anymore. Her neuropathy is, has, has gotten severe. She's using a walker or a wheelchair, whichever one works best in the moment. And, and I, I remember thinking about the end of the sermon as I walked down the lane yesterday. I was like, well, how does my mom run? Wells and I, we, we can run down this long. How, how, does, how does my mom run? And I remembered something that I read years ago. And it goes like this. We all must run whether old or young, and whether sick or healthy. And this is possible for the sick and the senile because the race is a race against unbelief, not against sickness or senility. It is possible for the unhealthy to win the fight because the fight is a fight against lost hope, not against lost health. And it goes on. When we cheer on the diseased or aging runners who run their final laps in hospital beds, what we are really saying is the words of Hebrews 10.35. Do not throw away your confidence, which has a great reward, because the finishing line is crossed in the end, not by a burst of human energy, but by collapsing into the arms of God. That's how we run. We run to collapse. And that is victory. That's what it means to win. When your team loses, you still get to collapse. When your candidate loses, you still get to collapse. When your health leaves in Christ, you still get to collapse. And friend, that is victory. That's how we run. That's how we run. So come and be saved. Come and, and listen to Jesus the witness. Come and listen to the, the full and final and ultimate Savior and champion. And let us not lose hope. Let us run with the good news of great joy and let us keep running with the good news of great joy until we collapse in the arms of God because, friend, then we will win. We will win.